0: This is Repatterning. I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Kata. In today's interview, we'll be talking with Yasmina al khaizi Yasmina is a writer for voice and paper, appearing sometimes in other forms, such as The Walking Scientist, The Archivist of Regrets, The Self-Entitled Self-Entitlement Office, and more.
0: Yasmina also listens with her hands transfers poetry in performative acts, and makes waves on free, independent, temporary, mobile and public radios, writing with sound.
1: In this talk, we'll be discussing poetic services and backwards walking, waves and utterances, archiving and abandoning, and subwoofers.
0: We began our talk with Yasmina turning the tables and deciding to interview us, in order to introduce us to the invented professions that are one part of her work. And that's where we begin.
2: Dear Kata and Tom, welcome to Heart Service. (laughs) This is uh, a self-entitled self-entitlement office where you can discuss with me certain things uh, that you have heavy on your (laughs) hearts or on your stomachs. (laughs) So um, if I may list for you the number of services that I can offer in heart service. Um, I am a bites expert so I can deal with maybe your gut feelings. Um, I am also the Self-Entitled, Self-Entitlement Office, so we can also talk about uh, your um, insecurities, about naming yourself, biographies, and, uh, yeah, feeling empowered to do what you want to do in life. Mm, I am the Archivist of Regrets, so uh, we can also discuss about... uh, the order of things in this room, in your head, in your heart. Mm, I am as well um, able to switch from role to role. Unfortunately, I didn't come with my suits today, but I am wearing different kinds of blue, white, uh, yellow, pink suits for each of these services. (laughs) <laughs> mm, they happen in an audio way, so people cannot see us. Um
0: and they also can't see the suits, but uh, we'll just have to imagine them.
2: Exactly. It's more about uh role shifting. I mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to smell good in the radio and this is something I'm I'm actually <laughs> always taking care of, smelling good in the radio. Sometimes I brush my teeth before I start to... Uh, I did that at home. Mm, I hope uh, that's not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think we also brushed our teeth
1: just just before.
2: Good. So, as I said, um, welcome to heart service. Maybe I start with um, with you, Kata. What would you pick from uh, my expertises? Some of the expertises I, I put there. I forgot also the walking scientist.
1: Oh, yeah. Hmm. I think I'm split between the walking scientist and the archivist of the regrets.
2: Um, We can start with, uh, yeah, we can start with the archival regrets if you want. So, let me ask you one question. Where did you put that thing that was there? Um, I can't exactly remember. Was it something else that it made you think about than what you expressed, this question? No, I was actually thinking about that thing. And um if you, for example, would find it in a dream, would it count as being found? Oh, yeah, I think so. What do you think about this, Tom?
0: Um... I'm realizing that I don't know uh, what we're talking about. (laughs) But I have my guesses.
2: (laughs) We are talking about repatterning.
0: Well, yeah, sure. Wait, you had the archivist of regrets. So I get the walking scientist.
2: So um, what are your sorrows connected to walking?
0: Oh, wow. I've been doing this thing for the last kind of couple of years uh, which is that there's a a place out in the countryside where I try to walk backwards in a circle uh, as a kind of a extended form of grieving related to a friend of ours who died and so this is immediately what comes to mind when you when you ask me that I, I maybe wasn't anticipating suddenly having that arrive in my mind, but that's what immediately occurs to me.
2: Can you describe a little bit how maybe other people can use this as an instrument for grieving or maybe for coming at terms with?
0: Sure. I mean, I think that this was... uh, So to to give the practical information, uh, a friend of ours, Kathleen, died uh, basically... In the middle of the pandemic. And a kind of a proposal was made by other people that had known her that we could go to this place that she used to often go to and walk around it backwards in circles. And that we would do this once for every year of her life. And it was made as a somewhat kind of off the cuff proposal. But then. I kind of took it as a sort of a, a score of sorts. And I've been, uh you know, adding layers in this process ever since. And of course, I don't get to go there very often, so it actually takes a while. And so it means that I'm often in a very different sort of emotional state when I end up going there. Um. Yeah.
2: It makes me think about... Drawing with your body in landscape.
0: Right, yeah.
2: Like a lollipop or a very special flower. <laughs> or like a... Yeah, it's, it's kind of a big gesture physically. Mm. And I've been working backwards also with my colleagues in Research and Waves. Ah, oh, really? Together with... Uh, Two artists we invited to um, discuss about, yeah, about public space, and it it's a, it was a project we did last year in Bremen, and it was called um, One Day Studio, and mm-hmm. we invited artists to teach us things. Mm-hmm. So it was in pandemic, and the nice thing about it was that we could we could be together with these artists making tests and uh, always very small group mm. and the only way we were communicating with the other audience was to publish something in the end like small uh, documents that we would create together and um did some uh, stories also on social media mm. but it was quite special because one of the things uh, um Kate proposed was to walk backwards. And we were walking backwards on a street, I think on a street that has uh, um how do you call this unique direction? So car-like a one-way street. I think it's a one-way street. Yeah. And it's very close to um, Künstlerhaus Bremen, where we started this discussion where one of our colleagues has a studio. And it was gorgeous because um, I was there just a couple of weeks ago. I work also on on a project there about the name of the building. And um, it was kind of beautiful to realize that that one time walking backwards makes me never forget this experience of uh, being on that street walking backwards. So I had to walk forward <laughs> uh, back to the to the building because I was sleeping in inside of the Kunstler house a couple of weeks ago but that happened last year so mm. the the project of walking backwards happened last year and I just have another map of that street mm. and mm. one of the things I remember uh I we were also filming backwards in with my phone and the film is absolutely gorgeous. It's mm. really, really funny. I remember the faces of people that were passing, mm. that they were so amused that uh, five people are walking backwards. And they were also receiving it as a kind of a um, um, slightly yeah, it would be like um, like a repatterning in that sense, if, you, if I may uh, use your term, because it is somehow about, it was about hmm, looking at life from another angle mm. and not in a luxurious sense or it was not so intellectually demanding, but then it was very transformative mm. in yeah. the sense of mm. what it provoked as a conversation. So um, yeah, it, it was, it was a very interesting day. Where we were learning more about, about space, just trying to map somehow in other ways, very central spaces in, in city of Bremen. Mm. And also having very important discussions about, about walking. Mm. And I like, I like the idea of suggesting people small things which can then, they can use as a kind of an opening to, their own imagination in a very simple moment. Mm. So that's why I was I was suggesting that maybe you could describe what you would do. <clears throat> I like that you gave a context to the idea of why you ended up doing this, mm. grieving mm. in that sense. But I also like this kind of a physical approach to describe how you orient in space. So maybe if I may take you for a second back to that, sure. you can say, how do you prepare yourself for seeing backwards? Because I use the video to orient mm-hmm. myself.
0: You mean how do I kind of practically prepare for the... How, for do, the... You,
2: how do you see where you walk the words
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: while walking backwards? Yeah. How do you orient your, your body?
0: You kind of do it by well. Hmm. I, I don't think I have a very good answer, really, other than you just try to be careful, uh, because you know when 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 I have been doing this, I've kind of just accepted the idea that I might fall over or uh, you know, I don't know, hurt my foot or something, and I suppose in a way it's it's as much that kind of mental preparation of accepting at the beginning that you might end up being you know hurting yourself or looking foolish or something like that as it is anything more more physical or practical uh and yeah i i know what you mean it's like you kind of need to take a moment at the beginning to go okay How am I going to get through this now that I've decided that it's something that I'm doing? And uh, yeah, I suppose you kind of just need to a little bit surrender into it or something like that.
1: Perhaps I can add something to it, which is that um, this walking backwards is something that we have done a lot um, in uh this countryside art space where we often go and so this was kind of like a regular um practice offered partly by this friend of ours Kathleen and um um also by other people in this uh space and so when we would do it we would usually do it in gr- in a group and so we would walk in a line of people and so that would also be a little bit of you know caring for each other in a way, because the person behind you sees you. So um I think part of the suggestion for this walking backwards was also like, not necessarily to, you know, shout at the person in front of you that like, Oh, you're gonna fall, you know, like to, to still like, care for each other, but uh try to keep it a little bit more subtle and let people also to maybe waver a little bit in the way. But I don't know, if they get very close to you and they don't see you, you can maybe like just lightly touch their back or if they are walking into a tree, maybe you give a little sound or, you know, like some sort of a soft warning. But I think that having done it several times this way in a group where you can also a little bit um rely on other people, it also, I think, helped us to develop a little bit um, tools to trust even when we then go alone because i yeah because then you also just kind of also develop kind of like peripheric vision and you know like seeing i don't know the path that you're walking on and kind of assuming what's coming and then yeah maybe also we actually know the space already quite well
0: (laughs) yeah it sounds a bit different to be walking backwards in the city yeah i suppose it it uh you know sounds a bit more dangerous, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was quite dangerous. And we were not allowed to look back. that's why I used the phone, and it was kind of funny, all oh, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. to use the phone on a selfie mode, <clears throat> and I was walking first, so they could all look into the phone so that they knew, oh right, are, okay. what we are doing. <laughs> was really like a hacking and we were laughing so hard, it was really nice
0: it was like a like a rear view mirror for everybody exactly yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly,
2: yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, also like documenting this uh right okay. documenting this process right, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about repatterning that. It it makes me makes me think about pattern patron pat patron. I call it misspelled speaking. Mm-hmm. So misspelled speaking is when you pronounce words just how they come to your mouth, and sometimes they are <laughs> kind of getting another sense. Mm. Yes, and it it made me think, no, 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 there are ways also to think about that in another way. For example, I'm looking more into the pattern as something that I am avoiding Mm. rather than something that... But I'm also looking for patterns and images in different situations where I'm walking, for example. But I have also an interesting approach between walking and patterns. Is not an interesting approach, but an interesting kind of connection that comes now is the fact that I always joke that there are the same stones, the same arrangements, sometimes the same weeds, um, the same kind of pathways, the same signs, and the little monuments of um, regulating rivers or waterways or um, path, path, paths around where we are walking when we want to be maybe a bit distant to cities in Germany, mm. and it feels to me always these same objects that are very, very similar that look like a Minecraft copy paste (laughs) and I like this idea that for me these patterns were very fascinating in the time of pandemic doing so many walks Mm. it was um, exactly that that I was fascinated with just taking pictures of these stones and I call them little monuments because they are so kind of outstanding and sturdy and they are monuments of this regulation mm. of spaces which we call nature, or we kind of yeah we we try to to be as humans no we try to be somehow negotiating with an idea of nature, and there are these little objects. That are sometimes big and very important because they prevent the shore from getting smashed, or mm. they make a river um how do you call it Nav- like
0: flow in a particular route flow in a particular
2: route uh, they are taming mm. the landscape, but they are also like. Kind of sympathetic and usually yellow or they have nice colors, or mm. there is a specific stone brought from somewhere, so I think about these patterns and walking and how I connected i I got connected very much with mm, with myself through this process of walking mm. um, and the first thing when I stopped. Yeah, when everything stopped, and I also stopped <laughs> in, in uh, since yeah, April twenty twenty. The first thing that happened to me was that I I I was thinking about what could be uh, the role of the poet in a society where everything stops, mm. and also apart from, of course, talking about what is happening, like always, you no. Know, there are these uh, intense news that we get from poets throughout history and then i thought also about the importance of that role like how that how that could be a job mm. how that how you can you be like a strong poet A strong poet meaning maybe just a poet <laughs> <laughs> and um i made this uh, opera libretto which is called time to think because i was walking so much more than ever before in my life and I I thought I would like to know what happens when you stop serving basically you stop being a service person and then you start immediately thinking more of what of the future of the past of your well-being of the well-being of the loved ones. You start thinking more because everything stopped. Somehow you're not busy having to rush to this and that job. You kind of don't have any job anymore. (laughs) And uh, everything stops. And then, yeah, I made this uh, satire of uh, me being a libertist. So I became this libertist who has... Uh, time to think, and writes a libretto of an opera that doesn't have lines, just has parentheses for uh, lines. <laughs> and the uh, three characters are a me, you, me, and the voice of contradiction. And day three, they try to speak about very important um, things like uh, how sound is transported over the water or um, they try to kind of be smart together, but uh, they don't manage because they constantly interrupt each other, and the atmosphere of the opera is a, a hangover head, so nothing really works. So uh, yeah, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I published this, and uh, it was also presented. For, for public. As a
1: performance?
2: Uh, yes, in a way. So this was published by Bridge, which was, I think they don't do anymore, but they were doing this as fanzines where they were publishing a couple of poems or one poem or different formats of, of writing in a small zine. And if you would attend the event where the people who publish would present their work, mm. you would get a copy at the entrance. So I thought this could be a nice libretto joke because in the opera you always get I the am. libretto. <clears throat> so I thought maybe people could perform with me. Mm-hmm. So um, this happened in, in Hopscotch and w- we don't have also a documentation of it because I didn't tell anyone, and instead of going on the little stage on the mic, I went at the first floor of hopscotch on the bathroom window, and I threw a speaker off the window, which was uh, kind of uttering different uh, things. I was uh, recording in the bathroom five minutes before. Everybody had my uh, little text, and um, I said, okay, so... This is what this is. Maybe you want to play with me. So then people played with me. They took some of the characters. Some people also invented new character, And they were faced with this uh, parenthesis where they would have to utter something. But they would have to choose what to utter because mm-hmm. the parenthesis was just a suggestion so it was a complete mess but it was so funny <laughs> and people were very engaged in my in my um yeah in my whole act of trying to cope no with with this with this time and trying to find humor somehow in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. a tragic tragedy <laughs> uh, in this, tra- yeah it was a little tragedy but um, it was also a tragedy that proved somehow um, important mm. Mm. in terms of time stopping um,
0: it also I mean just from what you've described now what you were doing in a way was kind of creating a collision between words Written and uh, written and spoken words, which is kind of something you're like seemingly dealing with a lot in a mm. lot of the work that you're doing yes
2: um, mm. I think that that was present less than usually mm. because um I have a fear of published on paper, publishing on paper somehow, but I don't know if it's real. I think it's just an excuse to do other things. The same as I'm not thinking so much as publishing when I'm making radio shows, although you're basically bouncing waves to the moon and back. And it's a very much physical publishing. Mm. <laughs> um, of course, some um, humans also hear it. And then, You have this, uh, yeah, there are different, there are different approaches I have to text and I try to cope with, with my, with my fear, with the kind of uh, activity we started here with, with the heart service, Mm. Mm. which was also a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, a 22 hour radio show. Of which very little of it was pre-recorded. I did a live radio show in Luxembourg, where I invited people to come in a in a shop that uh, Sarah and Knut and the team from the Radio Art Zone um, rented for me for that day for these 22 hours. So we were in Esch, where uh, it's the capital culture, and we had a I had a small uh, shop, very pretty small entrance to a huge uh, shoe shop but we used only a piece of it and there we did um, yeah I say we because it was a big team of making mm. from one day to the other uh, an office out of this shop and uh, I was broadcasting live from there from that shop I had always a technician with me and this is also when I and I I um introduced the emotional technician inside of the inside of my uh, RI, if that's correct in English of uh, invented professions mm-hmm. so uh, the emotional technician was there uh, on my back I had two big tables and I had a chocolates from Halle from the chocolate factory in Halle which does some kind of Mozart Kugel with oh. <laughs> uh, almond paste <laughs> And, um, yeah, and people could come in from the street. And I had different, uh, colleagues in from the team of uh, Radio Art Zone. So then we could speak many languages with the people. It's a very multilingual city, mm. um, ash. And I was speaking to the listeners, to the people in front of me, which were coming in the shop. And I had also, um, uh, room. A jitsi room where a lot of people I communicated with could just enter, mm. could so they could just come into the conversation. Mm. So I think and I spoke for I don't know. I think first batch was maybe thirteen or fourteen hours. I just spoke continuously to people, mm. and I had these services as a kind of hooks to. What could we talk about? I was playing them some audio works from me as well, just uh, going from one conversation to the other with people, some people I knew, some people I didn't know. It was so rich and it was so intense to um live like this to live to that that permanent responsibility of making some kind of sense, staying some kind of what in Your interest in finding always a response to what people's necessity of conversation, Mm. simply that Mm. could be in that particular second in this environment, which also kind of colorful and kind of welcoming and sympathetic. Mm. And so we, we managed to create really a lot of layers of, of discussing, discussing certain Certain topics, one of my professions I didn't mention before is also a bird watcher watcher mm-hmm. and so the bird watcher watcher is not so much able to talk about birding but can mention some things about birders mm-hmm. uh, because uh, yeah because of watching birders and uh, or because of birding birders because there is this thing that birding is a more inclusive term somehow because it doesn't include only seeing. So, a bird watcher, watcher is also discussing about these uh, accessibility things and also a little bit about, uh, yeah, a post colonial approach to knowledge and a decolonial approach to knowledge or learning from different birders, meaning also, uh, queer birding groups or, um, feminist birding groups. Learning about birds doesn't mean uh, we're learning only about birds. You, you are twisting the whole, yeah the whole history of natural sciences and also um it's a very interesting way to look at who is actually able to do that mm. who has the time the mm. money the access and who is who else is doing that without calling themselves this way mm. so who really has bird knowledge and in which spaces in this world bird knowledge is inherent to existence mm. and in which others is coming as an effort to because, yeah. And so this complete, this, these completely um, hot topics of uh, climate, climate change, climate crisis, um, extinction, uh, sustainability, mm. of mm-hmm. course, the colonial practices and science and arts, all of these things come together in uh, Birdwatcher Watcher. So you can speak about many things, also mm. from a kind of a humorous perspective, but eventually gets very serious because yeah, yeah. Mm, because it's so it's so reflective of so many things. So, my partner Ralph uh, is uh, birding for many years now, and uh, I have been watching Ralph birding and bird watching. So that's how. I got into that, so I actually.
0: This was the prompt for yeah. inventing this particular profession. <laughs> exactly.
2: So this is. It was very. It's very interesting because uh, we are somehow. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot from all that he knows already, mm. but I'm also learning to learn from people who know things already. So. And this is a, this is a very interesting um, thing for me that, um, we are watching scientists. We are watching philosophers. We are watching poets in a way mm. because uh, we are shortcutting somehow our access to knowledge. And uh, it's quite interesting to think about um, the gaze one has towards knowledge, how you are grasping different things by the, yeah, by the references you have. And when you spend a lot of time with people who spend a lot of time watching animals, for example, mm. you learn completely interesting things mm. that um, are part of also maybe a, how to say, a, like a post uh, humanist um, approach where you are, yeah, decentering the human from mm. somehow being, uh, Feeling the most important mm. of mm. all the other living and non living <laughs> beings, <laughs> so
1: I feel, I feel like i'm I'm now watching the poet <laughs> yes because <laughs> okay. it's it's really interesting for me to um like the different things that you have talked about now in the last few minutes, I kind of have this mind map of. Uh, you know, like starting from tamed rivers and yellow bags to like, I don't know, walking backwards and uh, naming a building and, uh, and watching bird watchers and a libretto. And, you know, it's just like all these things are kind <laughs> of like coming together in my mind as this like... I also have a lot of visuals to it, you know, somehow like as you're speaking, some of the things you're describing in a very visual way. So I have all these like images in my mind, but also these kind of stories, and it's somehow like coming together as like a strange uh visual poem. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny because when you were talking about the reverse um and the nature and uh, and how everything stops. Um, I'm kind of just bringing back everything in this scattered way. Um, I was thinking of how that already struck me as a visual poetry. And I wanted to ask you about, um, if you think of this term or if this is something that, um, is interesting for you. But then as you just continued with the different stories, it just expanded into this even bigger, uh, example of what I felt like the beginning, uh, was an example of.
2: So yeah, I don't know. What do you think about visual poetry? <laughs> I'm not thinking so much about visual poetry in this, in this uh, sense, or like not thinking so much about concrete poetry anymore, because I have been thinking for a while of what is the material for uttering or what could be material in a score sense. So all of these notions collide for me and I still struggle a little bit to find counter histories to a couple of names that we all know from I don't know Central Europe or North America that have kind of yeah that that put this together and gave it a name I'm rather thinking about different types of things which are letters or words or maybe objects or Shadows or they are different things which compose somehow a possible score, which sometimes could be very flexible, fluid or a matter of interpretation. And yeah, sounds a bit abstract, but is not uh, so abstract. Actually, it's a decision one takes. So mm, just to give an example of what I mean, I'm thinking about writing with my voice. Which is connecting a little bit to Tom's uh, mm. earlier question. And, um, I learned to say that from also from the experience of working with Ralph somehow, because, um, yeah, he's been, he, he has been doing a lot of radio in his life. Mm. And we were talking a lot about this connection with publishing and with me being afraid of the paper somehow mm. and the the way i sit down in front of a microphone in a radio situation or performing for myself for an audio uh file <laughs> i i am i am writing with my voice and there are different things which are kind of um making that possible mm. and so concrete poetry or visual poetry for me is many things Mm, sometimes uh, I I do it always. Like this is maybe a, I have a paper here in my hand and I've been trying to think about your word and I decided to start with a heart service. So this is a plan. This is a mm, score. It's um way to make notes. And it could be also concrete poetry piece if you want to self-entitle it. Mm. (laughs) So I am I'm interested very much in that and in in lettering, but I'm not giving it such a big importance and in the way that I'm somehow sourcing these audio materials with a lot of it. But I think they collide with Mm. the world outside of the paper. Sometimes I write down something and I prepare my notes for a two-hour radio show or just a recording session, and I find myself having finished these two hours without even touching that paper. Mm. And I think this is quite interesting. And I also, yeah, I, I have coincidentally with me in my bag because I wanted to bring you my notebook so you can take a look at my notebook, and then I forgot, and then realized I actually have the manuscript for uh, what is going to be a poetry book in a couple of weeks, I guess. And this is not at all like my notebook. It's something else, and I think I'm feeling very distant to it, because it is a bunch of notebook poems Mm. that are some of them have been first written on paper. Some others have been on my phone. Some others I spoke before, Mm. coming back to also what you were saying. There are things I'm writing just to speak, so I don't want to see them. I don't want anyone to see them. Mm. Or they don't have to exist in another form than uttered Mm -hmm. with... uh, air (laughs) because somehow I don't believe in them in another way Mm. and it's also about connecting this to the archive archival and the archival regrets it's about how you are trusting other people to operate with what you leave behind how do you trust or how how do you how do you imagine somebody else would read it for themselves Do you trust that this could be good enough Mm. to stand alone and bounce like a ball, uh, or would be intended to bounce like a ball and that he would end up being smashed like a tomato? So... (laughs) this is the thing i think it's this is what the archivist is making possible for the people in the future or in a possible future to kind of access certain things mm. and if this is a very this is also probably a very uh the whole thing with archives is a very western thing and with keeping things in a specific order and having them accessible in a specific way, maybe even stripping them from interpretation so that access could be a grid, a pattern, and then everybody would just be able to go to the grid and the pattern in the least time possible, Yeah, Mm. getting the information they need. There are other ways to keep information or access information. Mm. And, yeah, we, we just have to kind of re, relearn these relations. And me as a poet, I have that possibility mm. to dance with these ideas.
0: Mm. It it seems a little bit like uh, uh, that this kind of very, let's say, very ancient idea of poetry as a, primarily a spoken or oral encounter is something that is maybe like has reemerged as a different kind of possibility in an era where you have you know streaming and uh, uh yeah everybody has all of these possibilities for audio to exist either on the internet or kind of mediated through it in a way where the the paper becomes somewhat Disregarded, having had its sort of uh, hegemonic couple of centuries over poetry,
2: I think a uh, paper is very important if hmm. you say I'm into orality, orality practices. there are spaces where this is very respected and hmm. but this in is one of the things a poet has to do if I may project on the image of a poet as something which is for other people and not for themselves. Mm. Mm. So I think mm, I'm I'm struggling a little bit with my position Mm. because I think, yes, the next step is a book, and everybody agrees with that. And I didn't really give this thought too much Um, pressure for a long time because I just wanted to insist on my ways Mm. but of course I am buying poetry books Mm. I am one of the few people in this world who really buy a lot of poetry books as much as I can uh, um, afford and I'm very careful with what I'm buying in the sense of yeah I'm I'm interested in different voices from different spaces and from different, different um, experiences than anything similar to mine. Mm. In a sense of, for example, I don't know, a book about someone who has uh, whose mother had a seizure and their memory is completely erased, or a book about feelings as an archive system or mm, yeah uh, <laughs> a sort of a small short story book which is a feminist sci-fi based in somewhere in Yugoslavia mm, there is a different kind of um, literature that I need in order to get my news (laughs) Mm. Mm. so um, I know that of course I'm I have a big pleasure in listening to poets but I want that experience of being able to read Mm. poetry Mm. Mm. is very important for me Mm. and I think I'm still not doing it enough Mm. because sometimes it's very it's very scary and it gets straight to your heart and it gets straight to your bones, and it just gets into your system. And what you read ends up being also informing very much what you would end up writing. This is like getting, yeah, getting things into your algorithms, and uh, getting more and more convinced of, yeah, how thoughts could look like. So mm-hmm. you potentially kind of process them, and then. Be able to utter as well or to
1: mm.
2: yeah in this sense to to publish so I think books are very important yeah
1: well I, sure. mm, I can also see how it is it is very different for me to you know I listen to some of your uh poems that are audio, and then when I read something written, it also just i can also just that it's just different and it's also a choice, like when you said that um What you publish as an audio thing for you, it only makes sense that way. And it's not, I don't know how you said it, like you don't believe it in another form or something. I can, I can really see that, that when I read a poem, everything that comes with seeing it and reading it without hearing it is also part of it. And then, of course, people would recite it and then it's a, another. Format, but when I listen to the things that you recorded, it feels very important to it that it's an audio thing. And maybe what I can imagine, you know, maybe I, maybe I see it as I hear it, but that the, the acoustic of it is, yeah, it it just kind of makes it into a, a different, uh, Sort of a different Discipline,
2: encounter. Like, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot about the fact that I don't have that trust the, of letting go to be able to also show this uh, text in another way. Mm. And I think I only realize it now, while speaking to you, that maybe this is what is missing somehow between these links because there are certain kind of paths that one would make performances and then publish a book of the scores of the performances. I don't want to be that artist, so it's good to know that. Then maybe there is a possibility to select some of the things I have published as audio files and make them... Into transcripts and be able to publish these transcripts. Mm. But this is scary because um, it is scary because the pleasure and the intensity of a moment where you can also fuck it up gets very um, institutional when it's on paper. Mm. It's becoming the institution of you rather than that uttered physical we also fart as people we also burp uh, we also stink we also fall or well, we are seen or well, we want to be seen very contained walking or being able or mm. being able to see, able to smell, able to speak, able to hear. And I think um yeah I'm very puzzled with this. I I'm also writing about possibilities where people stop working and start thinking and they look at each other for real and they start cooperating and Different people have different approaches to senses and different uh, realities. And I think the only way to maybe have a an experience in life where it's not all about hierarchies and inequality would be to cooperate and just be able to be with each other. And for that, I hope we can stop working. But <laughs> this sound sounds terrible, but it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of how I imagine writing or uttering or whatever I do, thinking myself or getting to, to thoughts as this world creating, mm. this world building where, um, getting closer to looking at other people. Mm. Into being with them, and also recently, also with birds and insects <laughs> and plants more than ever, which is also something which comes from um, being raised by a grandmother who's a biology teacher. Mm. You mentioned uh,
1: letting go, and earlier you also mentioned that you see letting go as part of archiving. Can you tell? About yeah, so.
2: That? Mm, Letting go is also letting go of control because to be a content um, gatekeeper is also a a hierarchical aspect to it, which is very toxic. And um, yeah, your job is to give access, but that access should be happening in in your absence as well. You mean that as, as an archivist, you have the power to choose what gets? I was not thinking about that mm. because I, I'm i also very puzzled with it. I don't know what to think about it anymore. I'm playing with the term of archival regrets as a kind of a, every one of us is a sort of archivist and uh, everyone is all of these things I'm, I am, mm. the working scientist or... Mm. Uh, or the 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 bites expert uh, who thinks about Mm. gut feelings but what I mean with this letting go is the fact that the need of humans to control is very present in the way we operate with objects and that's very toxic. Like, if you really look at the behavior you have towards uh, owning things or storing things or uh, putting things in a sort of order that you should be able to access it, it's really, <laughs> it's fascinating because it's, it's a very interesting thing for me to talk about. I made a little poesy album about that um published by Anne Panhuizen, also in 2020. And it was about, uh, the, the questions I asked you in the beginning were from there. Hmm. So it's a, it's a poetry album, which is kind of like a big A4 and you open it and there is one little question on each page and you can draw in it and also pass it on to other people. So it's like a. Yeah, like a self-printed notebook, kind of. Hmm. And uh, it has many questions, and the questions are very heavy. Some of them are, you learn that you cannot keep anything heavier than uh, 10 kilos in your house. What do you do? And so it makes you think about, oh my God, the fridge.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> or, I don't know, the books. Um, So... Yeah, it it makes you think also, what is the building I'm living in? If the building, or how was it 50 years ago? How many people lived in here if this is 50 years old? Uh, I don't know. There are so many things you can can kind of try to twist through. In a way, for me, this is still poetry.
0: Mm. Although it is a very
2: practical tool-like approach
0: Yeah, this was that these prompts or these questions were written on pages where the rest of the page was otherwise left blank for people to be able to fill in whatever they might want to add into this yes okay it's kind of like uh, oblique strategies but that you can kind of write back to or have your leave your mark on
2: (laughs) people can also send it back
0: yeah. Ah, okay.
2: They can send it back to me mm. if they want me to see what they thought about. Mm.
0: What layer they've added.
2: Mm. And this it was a very beautiful experience. I didn't really use so much this um, this book, this notebook, this poesy album. This It was funny because I have just moved to Hale that time and I said that I'm making a poesy album because I want to make friends. So <laughs> I wanted to may I use this to make friends, but it, it didn't really work out. I made one friend. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, I made one friend. Your
0: poetry friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah Fabian is my friend who I made through this process. But it was... Uh, well, then, yeah, the plan worked. worked. But, yeah. yeah. And then Fabian also made me make myself another friend. And, yeah, so I have some friends because of this. Uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> it great. worked but um so the the point of of archival regrets is also to think about memory mm, and there are ways of course especially from a central european perspective or like from a german perspective to think about memory is a very big heavy thing mm. and for me too it is a big heavy thing i just wanted to give it More like a very personal approach because we became so domestic in these times and we had so much the, the ones, the ones who had their space. Um, we had so much to think about. And it was also time to, no, I also asked you about your, about your box system. Um, this was a time of people ordering or throwing things or, or, uh yeah or the uh, ordering new things <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um there was this crisis no, with with different um, mining um these imbalances in the world that the, there was a lot of demand on computers because people started buying a lot of computers buying their oh. own their own laptops so as you know you we all this uh Friendly things we are buying, which have batteries, uh, lithium batteries, and that, so we can move around with them. They are doing harm somewhere else, and this is. Uh, it was quite interesting, you know, this time when people started buying technology, yeah, also like a, people uh, who could, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that they can work home at home, and it is kind of tragic and. <laughs> Yeah. I also bought I bought a subwoofer. I bought myself a subwoofer, and I never... I thought I made it in life that I have a subwoofer,
0: you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I have very minimal... This, this uh, was your definition of making it. Is
2: making like, it in life. Good speakers. <laughs> I try to buy always the second-hand things, and even, yeah, with this technical stuff, we always have rare metals in everything,
0: and yeah, you know.
2: so if I buy a recorder, I try to buy it second-hand. No? I, yeah, I try my best. I'm still disaster but I bought a subwoofer and I I started listening to my voice with the subwoofer and it was so much different than I thought and it was so intense to realize how much blopping there was in everything I have done and I could not hear it.
0: You mean that you were suddenly hearing kind of the base of your own voice exactly. for the first time. <laughs> exactly. Right.
2: And I always, uh, I'm really bad at editing my, my, my things, and I always refuse to put filter and this and that, and I'm always like, raw, people have to hear it just like it is. I don't know, I don't want to put any filter, so one has to learn more about equalizer after getting a subwoofer because <laughs> you're like, oh, this is really... It's of course, it's because if if somebody with a subwoofer would hear it, yeah, then they would know that most people maybe will not hear a subwoofer because I'm making or transporting my things. People hear it on their phone and a little radio mm. mono in a car. But
0: yeah.
2: So it can be anything, but... There are works which are, you know, sound works for radio, in radio art that mm. are based on, I don't know, on, on, on what you would hear if you would have a subwoofer or, <laughs> I don't know.
0: There's one way to kind of uh, suddenly realize about the, you know, the physics of sound is exactly. to kind of be confronted with something like this.
2: Yes, also a very beautiful thing which happened... Uh, kind of in pandemic, it's still there, the pandemic, Um, was with uh, Fritz, Fritz Laszlo Weber, who invited uh, Research and Waves, and I was there as well to make a workshop about um, these electromagnetic sounds, to listen to electromagnetic Mm. sounds with certain, Mm. and also to Wi-Fi, so we were walking around uh, Gutebanov in in Bremen as well, with these uh, special uh, uh, receptors and and discussing the translation of that sound and just walking around and hearing different kinds of uh, signals mm. in this place, which was yeah Wi-Fi electricity train. Mm. Different kind of, and it was so beautiful because Fritz was talking about how the air is not empty, mm. and it was so nice to have this workshop because we were speaking about what we hear through these things, which kind of help us hear certain movements and uh, yeah, signals in the air, which normally you don't. So, this was very mind blowing for me. <laughs> i always have to think about that and uh, yeah um, my colleague and friend norman norman neumann he gave me also two microphones two electromagnetic microphones and i really like to to scan my my things with it and to use it somehow as a source of with your new kind of antenna (laughs) i love it Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah i don't know does that feel like an ending
2: Mm, Yeah, now that we are getting closer to the ending, maybe I can ask you again to step in heart service. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And um, maybe, yeah, you can still choose from talking to the bites expert about gut feelings or... Maybe you can talk to the emotional technician or the emotional worker. Mm, We can have one more small session.
0: I'd like to speak to the emotional technician, please.
2: Oh, that's very good because we have been just talking about my emotions towards uh, electromagnetic sound. (laughs) So, Tom, I know that sometimes you are also operating different uh, recording devices, Mm -hmm. working around with them. Sometimes there are also antennas and things like that. Mm, I want to ask you, have you ever felt that there is uh, spirit in your machines?
0: I suppose I tend to be pretty materialist in practical thinking about these things. But the idea that there is some kind of spirit in them is ultimately kind of like the the poetic motivation that makes you want to do something with these things to begin with. Uh, There was a work that me and Kata were doing a few years back where we were trying to get signals from an abandoned satellite and yeah, you you couldn't not think about this as some form of kind of poetry or spirit when you would get these ghostly little fragments of uh, of waves coming down to earth um, so I think yeah, in that sense for sure
2: <laughs> Kata, why do you think we use this word, uh, such as abandoned for an object just because it was pre-owned? Maybe?
1: I think because it had a, originally it had an, uh, there was an intention in what, why that object got created and sent into, uh, space. And then that intention was not, relevant anymore so I suppose it's the intention that got abandoned or the purpose of the object got abandoned
2: Mm -hmm. because I think maybe yeah I was thinking about how alone is that satellite Mm. it's not
1: so alone because there's plenty of other junk (laughs) circling around in there (laughs) but uh, I guess it's abandoned from its original purpose
0: There is a school of uh, kind of thought about space junk, which uh, is which presumes that the space junk that we are leaving in orbit around the Earth now will ultimately end up being the longest lasting archaeological trace of human existence on Earth and that it'll still be in orbit potentially billions of years from now. Um, and so it, maybe it's not so junky junk if it's going to be the last trace that we leave.
2: I was thinking, okay, it's very polemic to want to send things in space. Sure. Um, I don't want to send anything in space, at least not something material, because we are sending always something in space, yeah, with especially through radio waves. Um... I thinking as an idea, if you can send an idea that you would want people from the future to find, what would it be?
1: That's a big one.
0: I think maybe we should leave that as a question for anybody else hearing these waves at some point in the future for them to think about.
2: So dear listeners, we are not going to answer this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, going to be answered somehow through collective effort of uh, yeah leaving you with leaving you at that. What would you send as an idea from this time in space that you would want future people to find?
0: was our talk with Yasmina Al Kaizi.
1: If you're curious to read more about all the different things we've been talking about, check out the website which is repatterning.xyz.
0: And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.